This is the EVP Podcast. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the EVP Podcast. I'm Beaker. I'm Dale. And I'm DVO. And uh, we really hope you enjoyed our last episode about the haunted places we talked about and that haunted city that Dell went to. Yep. Ybor City. I just had to look that up before we posted it because I forgot. Ybor City. Ybor City. Ybor City. It's spelled like Y-B-O-R. Yes, and which was the last name of the man who the founded. Yes. We talked about the Don... Vicente. Vicente Hotel and then the, the Cuban Club, I believe. Yes. And some of the experiences that you had there. Um, so if you listen to that, it was probably good. It was, of course it was good. We hosted it. Because we, we did it. I was there. It was good. <laughs> <laughs> so we, we thank you for listening to that. Uh, but this week, we're going to be talking about something different. Something it, haunted. Something haunted, something different that's haunted. Um, <laughs> we're going to the other side of the country with this one, to California, uh, yeah. specifically downtown LA. We're going to be talking about the Cecil Hotel. Um Oops. One of the reasons why we chose this topic is because they recently released a Netflix uh, four-part series about the disappearance of Elise Lamb. And we're going to talk about that too, but we're going to talk about some of the history of the hotel and uh, our thoughts on the the documentary. So Yes. Pretty fun documentary, by the way. It was it was very interesting. Um, so let, let's start off with some of the history of the hotel. And uh, I do, if I remember correctly, the... the Hotel was built in like 1924, if I remember correctly, somewhere there. It, it was built in the early 20s, yeah, right before the Great Depression. Yeah, it was supposed to be like a, a destination hotel for like businessmen and kind of like well-to-do people. I mean, like you, you can still see pictures of what the inside looks like today in the lobby. All marble. The, the grand lobby still looks like it what it did when they first opened, and it looks amazing. And it, it was it was supposed to be for like like I said for well-to-do people. Problem is, is, about two years after it opened, the Great Depression hit. Yeah. <laughs> and it just, it, it turned that part of downtown L.A. into what is now known as Skid Row. Sounds fun. Yeah. Sounds dangerous. <laughs> it, dirty. It is both. Fun, <laughs> dangerous, and dirty. Um, so, yeah, right right there alongside the Cecil Hotel, uh, it's where basically the majority of the homeless population, population, population <laughs> of uh, L.A. lives. And uh, there's a lot of, you know, drug use and, and prostitution. prostitution and violence and stuff that goes on there. And there, there's just so much history besides that. And we'll get into more of the Skid Row aspect of things later when we talk about Elisa Lamb. Um, but I think when, when the Great Depression finally ended and they started being able to kind of uh, like use the hotel, it, it became more of a place. It wasn't used for kind of what they had expected for kind it was of like low low income like half apartments half hotel it became like a yeah just run down a little bit that's what they're going to turn it into now well that's what they they have been doing like uh, they got to the point where they called it uh stay on main which was yeah. like levels like floors two through four and then the rest of it was the cecil hotel and a lot of that was um li- basically like long-term housing yeah they were staying there for like a months or a year but for like four hundred dollars a month i saw one of the, them talk about it. some people renting out for four hundred dollars a month that's crazy. their room 
Wow. <laughs> Living there. Yep. But it's, it's, and I know like when, when they got under new management, and this is later on, like in the 2000s, they were, they were trying to, uh, like the new owners that came in, they were trying to remodel and they were basically trying to evict all the people that have been living there, but uh-huh. I guess they got a cease and desist or a stop order, uh, because, uh, what it had been used for, for quite some time. So those people, they couldn't legally evict those people. So that's when they came up with stay on main. But before all of this happened, there's, there's this whole like tragic history to this hotel besides it being like suffering from the great depression. You had, there was, there's been a lot of suicides, a yep. lot of murders. Uh, one of the murder, murder. <laughs> <laughs> that's okay. <laughs> Who done it? Um, <laughs> there was even uh, it was even possible that the Black Dahlia was around there uh, at one point in time. You had like serial killers that lived there. Yep, two of them. Oh yeah. Um, uh, so starting off in like the 30s, though, I, I think it was the 30s, and so I wish I I can't see my notes. Um, <laughs> there was I know that there was like a couple that was arguing, and oh my gosh, there's so much. They, what happened? What happened? They <laughs> argued. Um, I know. Then? <laughs> and then, uh, I think I'm mixing two stories in together here. I know there's one where there was a couple that was staying there. Uh, the lady woke up. I can't remember her name. Uh, was having like stomach problems, and uh, went in the bathroom, and she ended up actually giving birth. She had no idea that she, she had was no pregnant. idea. Yeah. yeah, she had no idea that she was pregnant, and she ended up giving birth. She's pretty young too, wasn't she? I think she was like nineteen. Yeah, she was young. So she ended up. She thought the baby was actually stillborn. She thought the baby was dead. So she just chucked it out the window. Uh huh. Uh, Turns out the baby was not dead. She actually killed her baby by throwing it out the window. Gosh, what the heck? (laughs) Yeah. Yes, that's crazy, crazy, crazy stuff. Um, actually, I can't pull up my notes. How well? How did they find out the baby was still alive? That's what I want to know, because I mean, when they recover this baby's lifeless body, it's obviously. But how do they? How do they know that? That's what. That just sounds like they're just passing the blame right away. I think so. Um, it's just making her feel even worse. You know, you killed her, right? <laughs> well, I thought no, no, you killed her. Well, I thought you thought I was getting chubby. <laughs> That's how do you oh, go full term? So yeah, she was nineteen. It was so this was in nineteen forty four. She was nineteen. Her name was uh, Dorothy Jean Purcell, and like I said, uh, she was she had stomach pains, and she was staying there with her, I think her boyfriend, uh, Ben Levine, and he was thirty eight. So that's quite the oh, age difference. I didn't catch that part. Um, like I said, she went to the bathroom. She didn't want to wake him up, and then like I said, she how gave thoughtful. birth. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, it says she like I said she. Thought the baby was dead, threw the baby out the window and onto the roof of the building next door. Um, they did, at her trial, they found her to be not guilty of murder uh, because of reason in, of insanity. And yeah, uh, they ended up admitting her to a psychiatric hospital. Um, before that, though, I mean, there's, there's, I guess there's been re- like 16 recorded suicides and murders in this hotel. One of the first was uh, in 1930. Um there's few residents that had ingested poison. Uh, people shot themselves. People slit their own throats. And some people jumped out of their bedroom windows. 
Um, I believe I it. 1934, there was Army Sergeant Louis D. Borden had slashed his own throat with a razor. And then about four years later, Roy Thompson of the Marine Corps jumped from the top of the Cecil and was found on the skylight of a neighboring building. Oh, shit. Um, I know in, let's see, 1962, there was a 65-year-old named George Gianni uh, who was walking by the Cecil. So he wasn't actually staying there. He was walking by. And he, I guess he had his hands in his pockets. And right as he's walking by, this 27-year-old named Pauline Otten had actually jumped from mm-hmm. the ninth floor yeah. and landed on top of George and killed both of them. Oh, my God. Yeah, just heard about that because it was the last half of our last name. <laughs> the second half of our last name. <laughs> How'd that be? You're just like taking a stroll downtown L.A. and then... Oh, Smash. Dead. That's that crazy. That would suck. That would be, ugh. That would suck to see that happen. Because you know other people are walking all around there. Yeah, they'll be, you know, I'd yeah. probably be traumatized. If I'm walking down the street and I just see, splat, and then two people dead. I if it so fast that it would just look like the guy, you'd see it in your peripheral, you'd just see someone standing there, and all of a sudden it's flat. <laughs> oh, yeah. This is, yeah, it just disappear. Oh, shit. <laughs> He's buried from underneath <laughs> another body. You know, so... When they did their investigation, the the police actually thought that this these two people had actually committed suicide together, that they both jumped at the same time together. Oh, dang. But when they did their uh, a little more investigation, they reconsidered it when they found that uh, the guy, George, was still wearing his shoes. Uh, they're saying that if he had actually jumped, his shoes would have fallen off while he was falling. Wow. And the fact that he was still wearing his shoes is how they determined that he w- didn't actually jump, that she landed on top of him. How did they determine that that's a thing? I don't know. <laughs> everybody most people lost everybody their shoes. that's jumped from a building has all lost their shoes. Apparently this man had not lost his shoes and that's what that's crazy that that's that's a thing. You know, <laughs> well, you think then, you think maybe eyewitnesses would be able to help him solve that, but I guess right. they no, they they nope. straight went off but <laughs> his shoes were still on so he didn't jump. <laughs> that's pretty funny. <laughs> and you gotta assume everyone that's committing suicide is mostly related to the Great Depression, right? Like they don't have, they don't have enough money, they lost their jobs, can't support their families, and just giving up probably is kind well, of my guess. Until the '60s, and they're just, <laughs> just yeah. and then you blame it on the LSD yes. <laughs> or the reefer madness. Well, the '60s is that that's when the uh, the lady jumped. Yeah, that's what 60s, I was saying. So. In the '60s, because this is, that was not. The Great Depression driven. I mean, if you've seen pictures of the Cecil from the outside, yeah, it doesn't look like it. It would be a fancy hotel. Mm-hmm. And then seeing, watching this documentary, watching, seeing some of the rooms inside the hotel, like it looks like a rundown hotel. Yeah, it does. Mm-hmm. Like some of these rooms are so small. It looks like a Motel it's, Six. It's li- yeah, it's literally. I've I've seen Motel Six that look better in the inside. Mm-hmm. I've stayed in better <laughs> Motel Sixes than this. Yeah. Um, it's, it, it literally looks like it's big enough for, uh, you know, some of them have, like, community bathrooms. So you don't even have your own bathroom in the hotel. Right. Like, you're sharing a bathroom. You're sharing a shower with random people. Um, the rooms sometimes, in some of these rooms, it's just, it's big enough for, like, a bed and maybe a TV, and that's about it. Like, these rooms are tiny. Isn't that, like, the way uh, uh, Elisa Lam was 
the way she was staying there and like hostel like where they were like staying at first at first yes she actually she stayed there she was in the room her first room she was actually sharing with two different girls so i think there was was... i think there was like three bed i think there was a bunk bed and then a separate bed by itself um but yeah her first room was the the, like you said a hostel type situation where and if you know what a hostel is it's just a word for hotel Mm -hmm. um and it's scary movie where people die the way they like bunk bed style living yeah so it's um then then they ended up moving to a different room and we'll get into that a little bit i know in the 80s um but they they had all this like i said there was a lot of death with skid row around with the there was a lot of junkies that were in the hotel that were shooting up dying of overdoses and stuff like that um we also had, and, and this is another series that actually just came out on Netflix uh, about a month before the Elisa Lam one did. Uh, it's called Night Stalker, and it's about Richard Ramirez and how he terrorized Southern California and actually part of Northern California, like mid mid California, like uh, San Francisco area. Mm-hmm. He actually did some killings up there. I think he killed something like, I want to say like 20 to 60 people. I don't remember the exact number. It was a fascinating documentary. Watch that one too. Um, I need to. He um, he actually lived and stayed in the Cecil Hotel while he was on this like murderous spree, just killing random people uh, throughout California. Did I say that like, he would walk up the stairs to his room all bloodied and, and naked? And his, yeah, like and, either in his underwear, like he'd show up, take his clothes off, walk up to his room wearing just his underwear or sometimes completely naked. And because of the part of town it was, right. no one no one gave a second thought to it. They're like, okay, this is normal. Yeah. A, a guy walking up through the hotel naked and bloody. Like, it's, okay, cool. <laughs> Same thing like, you see every day. Right? But that's how things were in uh-huh. that part of town, which is scary. Like, like the neighbors see him. Oh, Richard. Right? <laughs> every comes day. Richard again. He's Same time bloody. every day. <laughs> bloody and naked. Yeah. <laughs> Sacrifice that, that goats Richard. again. Because <laughs> that's what the Satanists do. Um, but yeah, man, I, I just, need to watch crazy that crazy that the thing that, that, that this, the hotel that was originally built for Fanciness. like fancy businessmen, like rich businessmen, and someone's able to actually do that, like, you know, 60 years later, um, <laughs> walking naked in the hotel. Did that show talk about if he brought any of the bodies there at the hotel that they know of? Um, I don't didn't think mention. so. Yeah, I'm not trying to watch that was a, the, the, that in the Night Stalker was very brief. And I think they mentioned it a little bit more in the the disappearing of the, at the Cecil. Or the disappearance okay. of Elisa Lamb, uh, the crime scene or whatever. I think it's called Crime Scene, the Disappearing of the Cecil. Right. Um, they do talk about Richard Ramirez being there. And, like, in his room, um, as well as, like, some of the crime scenes, they found, like, you know, pentagrams and, and stuff like that. He did some Satan uh, satanic worship at the Cecil as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so that yeah. definitely probably opened up some darkness. It, yeah, probably. <laughs> you know, and what's funny is um, at the time it's saying that when he stayed there, it was like 14 bucks a night. Oh, wow. Dang. Because I mean, this is mid-80s as well. This is 1985. Yeah. But that's still, I think, pretty cheap. Yeah, especially for L.A. Yeah, it's a good yeah. point. Downtown LA. Yeah. Well, yeah, I guess it'd be that cheap because it's Skid Row. So, right. yeah, <laughs> going to be some uh, less uh, 
desirables for sure. <laughs> now, in 1991, there was an Austrian uh, serial killer named Jack Unterwager, Unterwager um, who actually, he would strangle prostitutes with their own bras. And, that was his thing. What the mm-hmm. hell? I've never heard of this before. Yeah, this is my first time. He, uh, Interesting. It, there's actually a rumor. One of the rumors is the reason why he chose the Cecil Hotel is because he was enamored by uh, Richard Ramirez. And he knew that Richard oh. Ramirez stayed there. So he actually came to America and went to the Cecil because of that. The funny thing is, is I guess when he was in Austria, he actually served time in prison, um, I think, for the murders. And when he got out, I guess the murders like continued, like it was just like women, like prostitutes. And I guess when he went on assignment, because he was a journalist, came here to America, went to L.A., uh, the murders stopped in Austria and started up in L.A. And hmm. being that Skid Row is right there and there was a lot of prostitution, he had every opportunity to just kill anybody he wanted right there. And again, Perfect because of the, the part of town it was, is like... People didn't really notice that they people go missing in Skid Row. You don't really notice because I think I think um, nowadays, I think they say like there's like eight to ten thousand homeless people that live on Skid Row. So wow, I, th- I, I no think idea. that's what they said in the I think that's what they said in the documentary. Um, Look like the, the there is dead. Not bad. There's yeah. a, I mean <laughs> they mentioned that there's just there's so many people that live on Skid Row. Like if someone went missing, you you pretty much wouldn't know. Right? I guess unless it's someone shared a tent with you or something, but um, bet, yeah, just people are kind of coming in and out all the time. They probably just thought they just won the lotto. Like, oh, they must have won the lotto. They're gone. Well, they fell in love with that special someone. <laughs> <laughs> they did the pretty woman effect. That must be it. That's pretty. Yeah, I didn't know there's that many people there. And it's just like there's, a bunch of like tents. Yeah, like, it's well, makeshift tents. It just lines the side of the street. I guess that just. People just live right there on Skid Row, and that's. If I remember correctly, I believe they said something like um, eight to ten thousand people. I wonder if they have like a their own barter system. <laughs> they, they must <laughs> probably. I mean, you got you to realize how big like L.A. is. I think L.A. is like bigger than all of Utah. Like, there's so many people there. <laughs> they sell <Yeah>. beaver pelts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not the kind you're thinking of. Um, <laughs> They don't have a lot of beavers in California. <laughs> not, but not that you know of. <laughs> Grow up, man. Not a, there's not a whole lot of wood in uh, downtown LA to build beaver dams. Um, <laughs> have you checked? No. <laughs> no, I haven't. Um, I guess also in uh, Af- there's you know, words are hard. I do this. Um, there, there's also been some like unsolved murders. Um, besides Elisa Lam, there was a a lady named Goldie Osgood who was found in a room. Uh, her room was completely ransacked. Uh, she had been, I believe, beaten and raped uh, before she was stabbed to death. And um, they had, they found uh, like one suspect walking in with bloodstained clothes nearby, but I guess he was killed, and her killer was never convicted. Um, which is just another hmm. example of just like violence that goes on in the hotel. So they, ba- they basically say this hotel is, is cursed. Um, some people believe in it. Some people don't. Um, another one thing, another thing, like I said earlier is, um, I guess in 1947, the black Dahlia, and we can do an episode on that. Um, if you guys want, cause 
that's something I've I think would be interesting to talk okay. about. Um, but basically, like they're they're saying, uh, her name was Elizabeth Short, and she was found in a field uh, somewhere in in California, yeah, in L.A. And there is claims or reports that she had actually stayed at the Cecil Hotel uh, before she was murdered. Hmm. So that's kind of a brief history, brief rundown. Yeah. Of some of the stuff that's happened at the Cecil Hotel. I wouldn't say it's cursed. I think it's just in the shitty part of town. I think so. <laughs> so you're going to draw that crowd. So. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. The killing, stabby kind of crowd. <laughs> right. <laughs> the give me your money type of pokey pokey. <laughs> but with with all of that going on, with all the deaths, the murders, the suicides, all of that stuff, all the violence, that is does create a hotbed for paranormal activity. Well, you got a whole especially, lot of bad especially going on. Especially negative paranormal, acti- paranormal yeah. activity. Uh, it, the negative inhuman entities are drawn to that type of stuff. Even human entities that were just kind of like jerks in life are drawn to that kind of stuff. They're going to feel welcome there. They're going to want to be there. So that's when we get into Elisa Lamb. Um, she stayed there, I believe, starting January 28th of 2013. And she was only supposed to be there for a couple days. I think she was supposed to check out February 2nd, 1st or 2nd of 2013. And like we mentioned, while she was staying there, she was rooming with a couple other girls. And it got to the point where she became so disruptive. And, yeah. and they, they couldn't stand uh, rooming with her. They actually went into the hotel management and complained, and they ended up moving to her own room. Like she would have, like, I guess, like some psychotic episodes or something. Yeah, like she wasn't depression. Taking her meds. She suffered from depression, uh, bipolar as well. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, but like, I guess some of the things she was doing is she would write these like post-it notes and stick them all over the beds, being like, "Get out, go away, no one likes yeah. you," and just all this weird erratic behavior. And so they moved her to another room. Um, so, so what Elisa was doing is she she was 21 years old at the time. Uh, she was a student from Canada, mm-hmm. and uh, I can't remember the name of the the college that she was attending. The Columbia, um, something like that. No, or like Ontario. Yeah, something Canadian. Something yeah, Canadian. Some, some type of yeah, Canada something or other. University of Canada. <laughs> <laughs> There's only like. Like, I know I know that the one of the things that this university was known for was they were doing research on tuberculosis, I believe. And we'll get into that a little bit and why that's important. Yeah. But so she she decided like she was a very introverted person, I guess, but she was very vocal on uh Tumblr. Yeah, and social media. Social media outlet. <clears throat> yeah, that was her social media outlet. And she would like basically use Tumblr as like a journal. Yeah. Basically. And she was saying that she wanted to meet people like she's she wants to get out of that you know that little bubble she's in and go out there and just meet strangers and that was one of the part that's one of the reasons why she wanted to go to la too just to be somewhere different and she spent like a week in san diego before she went up to la and she went to the cecil because you know um it's the cecil basically became a great hotel for tourists from other countries because it was cheap Hostels like right, yeah, and I mean there was there was in this uh, crime scene Netflix documentary there was actually another couple from Europe that was staying there at the same time and they interviewed them about 
kind of what the Cecil was like and, and what was going on and how good the like, water was. Yeah. How good the water was. The rooms were like terrible. The rooms were like <laughs> sticky. They said that like their feet would like stick to the floor and oh, stuff like yeah. that. Like the rooms were bad. Um, but so Alisa was there and like, I know that at one point, I guess she went to a bookstore or in, in town uh, called the last bookstore. And I know that she was inquiring about how heavy the books they were or how big they were. She was wondering if like there was something that she'd be able to carry around with and travel with because she wanted to take back home. Um, that was like one of the last times anyone saw her alive was, was at that bookstore. I think they did find later on surveillance video when they, after she went missing, they found on video surveillance that two guys showed up to the hotel and handed her a box. Uh-huh. And once they started looking into it, that's when they found out that she'd actually had the, the books delivered to the hotel. And that's what those guys were. So they just kind of dismissed that. Um, but like the day that she disappeared, it was the day that she was supposed to check out. And they had some times where like people would just leave and they would leave their stuff. And I guess it was kind of a common thing. So they would bag the stuff up and put it in a storage there at the hotel for like 30 days before they just tossed like it. Lost and found. Yeah. So it wasn't uncommon, I guess, for people to just leave without checking out and, and leaving their stuff. Um, but one of the things she did while she was on this vacation, she would call her parents and check in like every day and say, this is what I'm doing. This is where I'm going. And she kept tabs you know, with her family. And when she stopped calling, that's when they started worrying. And so then they, I believe they called the hotel and then the police got involved and they started their investigation. And this is basically what this documentary is about. Like the first episode is kind of about her disappearance and how they handled some of the investigation. And it also interviewed like hotel manager and the staff the staff that worked there, and there was so much information in this documentary that I didn't have before, and it completely changed my mind. Yeah, me too. About what happened, like I, I do know from what I've, I've the video that they found of her on the elevator. Uh-huh. Um, one of the last things she did, they found this video of her on the elevator, and she was like hitting all these buttons. She was like hiding on the elevator. She was jumping in and out of the elevator and just acting all weird. Like at one point yeah. you see her like her hands moving in this weird sort of way that yes. didn't look natural. When I first heard of Elisa Lamb and I, I found out about this. It was actually pretty close to the anniversary of her death. Um, probably about six six years ago mm-hmm. is when I first heard about this. And I was fascinated by it. Um, as you know, most paranormal investigators are, they you see something like this. So I shared it with our team mediums at the time, the team that we used to be with. And two of them both said that there was definitely an inhuman presence in that video. Oh, interesting. Influencing her. In the elevator? or uh, I think it was in the hall. Huh. It wasn't in the elevator itself. It was in the hall. This is according to the mediums that we work with. Okay. So, I mean, I can't prove or disprove that. I'm just going off of what I've been told. Yeah. So There's I'd, also just a ton of negative energy in that. There hall. is. Yeah. So, so it's like trying to look at that and feel energy f- from that picture, yeah, there's a ton because that place is super haunted. <laughs> and so if, if you guys are just wondering what is that we're talking about, you've probably most likely seen it. Just recap before we go into more detail. It's the video of a uh, Chinese-looking lady in an elevator. She's hiding. She's freaking out. She leaves the elevator. She's never seen again. Found later in a water tank. All right. So that just, just, just real brief just because if you're like wondering – you probably have seen this video that Beaker's talking about. Probably, it's, it's <laughs> it went viral. It yes. went, yeah, it was. And I don't know why. Super I, viral. Earlier, I was thinking this was like recent. I know it wasn't recent because I was like, this was for some reason I had 2018 stuck in my head. And I'm like, I don't know, it was 
so much. Yeah. So much earlier than that. So continue. <laughs> so yeah, so, yeah, she's, yeah. She's, you, you saw some things that you kind of change your perspective. Like she's pushing a bunch of buttons. Going in at the elevator. So just the way that she was acting, my initial reaction was, and going off of what I was told by the mediums that we work with, uh-huh. um, I, I definitely felt that there was something paranormal that related to this this case. And one of the things that led me to believe that is because they did find her two weeks later. They found her in the water tank on top of the building. And they said when, and everything that I've read and seen up to this point before I watched this documentary was that when they found her, the lid on the water tanks were closed. Closed, latched, closed, yeah. Yeah. So having just that information, and from what I was told about the negative energy and that there was an inhuman spirit uh-huh. uh, in the video, I I was led to believe, based on just the information I had, that there was definitely some influence from uh, paranormal uh, inhuman entity. I'm not saying that the, it directly killed her, but I'm... But at the time, I thought that you know she possibly could have been influenced by something to get her into the water tank, and that it had closed the lid on her. Um, I didn't know much about the lid until I watched the documentary, where I found out it's just like one of those where it's square it's like hatch. Square hatch. It's just got the lips on it. There's like no lock or latch or anything. There's no hinges. It just you literally have to lift it up and move it over and set it down. So with her being inside and with it being closed, there's no way for her physically possible, no physical way for her to possibly put this lid on herself from inside the tank. Yeah, and that's what I had been under the impression as well. And so, what I was under the impression of when I first heard the story was that what made it so, and I found out this is wrong, but what I found out so awkward was that there was no way that a human being could fit into the tank. Uh, like you basically had to like open it. Um, oh, I mean, know what you mean, that a body couldn't fit into the hatch. Yes, yeah. Yeah, because they, they said that they had to, to drain the tank and cut a hole in the side uh-huh. to get a body out. Um, and that was another thing that led me to believe that, like, something paranormal put her in there. Yes. Um, but now I kind of found out she could have. Yeah, she could have like, fit. Somebody could fit in there. Yes. <laughs> so so what happened was, is I guess she had, she had been disappeared or gone for two weeks. Yeah. And the the way they found her was, uh, the water started turning oh, like gosh. brown, black, uh, black and brown, that. and, and uh, uh. there was people that was like the the European couple they interviewed. They were actually drinking this water. Yeah. They were brushing their teeth with this water. They were bathing, bathing. in this water, uh. and, washing their dishes. Oh. Yeah. So, so at the time they didn't know what it was. They thought it was it was a little off, and so they complained to management. And the water pressure was low. The water pressure was low, so they complained Clogged. to management, and uh, they sent the maintenance guy up to check it out. And I guess he got on top of the water tank, and he saw her body floating in the water. Yeah. And naked. Naked. And uh, that's when I guess he went down, and I guess he. I'm assuming he put the lid back on for whatever reason. Because had the police actually found it with the lid, the lid off, uh-huh. um, then obviously that they would have seen her in there. But so the report from the cop, and there was even like in the interview that uh, officer or statement that an officer gave, he said that the the lid was closed when they found the body. Yes. So having known that, like the maintenance guy went up and saw her beforehand, well, clearly he's going to take the lid off. Um, and if they if the cops found it closed, then my only explanation at this point is that janitor put it back on. Makes sense. Um, 
I guess his claim is that he didn't actually put the lid back on. And some of the detectives said that they had, uh, the guy had misspoke. Misspoke, yeah. And that the lid was actually off when they found her. Um, the hatch was big enough to get her body in. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Um, the reason why they drained it, it was just easier to get her out that way. Right, because if they were probably trying to extract her out, they probably... Slippage. Slip. Yep. <laughs> oh, man, I yeah. forgot about that word. <laughs> you get slippage when there's a... Bloated, water-bloated body. Yeah. Well, yeah. When they For went weeks. in, when they when they went into this investigation, they had probably like twenty detectives working on this case. Uh, but a couple of days later, at the same time, there was uh, a disgruntled ex uh, police officer from the LA Police Department that was like sniping and picking off police officers, other police officers. So they focused all of their manpower on that and trying to get that resolved. And they lost a lot of the support they were getting Dang. on the Elise Lamb case. Um, it's when they were watching, you know, hours upon hours upon hours of surveillance video that they were able to find this video of her in the elevator. And I guess they, at one point they decided that the best way to kind of get it out there, cause they, they didn't know where she was at the time. So they were posting flyers and stuff. They decided that they were going to post this video on the LAPD website to get it out there. So people could kind of see what she looked like and, and see if it would give any information. And in my opinion, as this is probably one of the biggest mistakes they made um, was releasing that video because this thing, like we said earlier, it went, it went viral. viral. It blew yeah. up and watching this documentary, I have come to the conclusion that there are some people online. They have way too much time on their hands. <laughs> yeah. Like what happened to that death metal guy? So the third episode of this documentary is basically covering all of the conspiracy theories that these quote-unquote web sleuths mm-hmm. came up with. And that's, that's when I decided that these people have way too much time on their hands. <laughs> so what they were doing is they were trying to pick apart everything in this video. And like the timestamp, I guess, was blurry. And then they seem to jump around. They, they, they say it jump around, jumps around. People were like freaking out because the elevator wasn't clo- closing and there was something wrong there. Mm-hmm. And they, I guess at the end of the video, it, the elevator door starts closing and then it's, it goes from like closed to like halfway closed and then it just finishes closing normal. Yeah. So people were like, okay, the cops, the cops edited this video. Right. They think it's been tampered with either by employees or crooked police or something. Yeah. And the, they said there was a whole minute of this video that had been removed that actually showed Elisa's killer. And there was like some sort of cover up. Oh, yeah. And then there was people that were focused on, they said there was like an extra foot in the, the video right before she left. Uh-huh. People were focused on that saying like, oh, this that must have been the killer. And they must have cut him out of the video. So they know who did it. And they just it just went even crazier from there with the stuff that people came up with. Uh, they they started looking into the similarities of I guess after her body was found, they started looking at the similarities of a movie that came out oh, like yeah. two thousand seven. I can't remember the name. Dark of it. Water. Dark Water. They were I guess the the lady's daughter like goes missing and they find the daughter in the water tank on the top of the building, and she wears like a red sweater like Lisa Lamb did. Yeah, yeah like so they were like, people started throwing out this conspiracy theory that someone, the person that murdered Elisa, uh, was reenacting scenes uh-huh. from this movie. 
And then and that's the least crazy thing I think they came up with. <laughs> yeah. Um, there was the death metal singer that you were mentioning. You want to talk about that? Yeah, that dude got his whole life turned upside down from, and that he was there making music, uh, or just, just talking. Saying, yeah. Yeah. Like a year before that, a whole year before Elisa Lam, and because these web sleuths found this video, they started sharing it and just accusations. Everybody just started blowing up at him, like messaging him, accusing him of killing her, and then just like tormenting the shit out of this well, guy. I think he had a his stage name was like Morbid. Yeah, mm-hmm. and he did like death metal, death yeah. the black metal or dark metal. About he's saying about murders things. and stuff like that. Yeah. Like, like three days after Elisa went missing, he released a music video that showed a woman running through the woods, and the song was about murder. And I guess at the end of the video, the the woman dies, which is fucking weird right right <laughs> but i don't think that's enough to connect this guy to her disappearance not at all not when he was never around her at completely different times like i guess no one looked to see when the guy uploaded the video that he was saying that he was at the cecil um no somebody just posted some random idea and they ran with it other people just ran with it so they they found out who this guy was and they started sending him death threats yeah, because mm-hmm. um, they were absolutely convinced that he was the one that killed her. He was in Mexico shooting or recording his album at the time. He wasn't even in the country. Yeah, well, right. he's from Mexico. When, yeah, so yeah. I think his real name was like Pablo. Yeah, I mean, it got so bad to the point he even tried killing himself. Yeah, he did. It got really bad. For and he him. woke up at a psychiatric ward. Yep. Oh, wow. Yeah, it turned his life upside down. And the thing is, is like I guess when they decided that. Her death was an accidental drowning. Um, this guy, and I feel bad for this guy because, like, literally nobody apologized for turning his life upside down and treating him like shit for something he didn't actually do. No, they just forgot about. They him. just he was just forgot about, and like this guy, like he almost didn't even want to be on the documentary to talk about his story, but he did, and I'm glad he did. I, I think it's very unfortunate what happened to him, and I think it's, these web sleuths needed they need to get a life basically. <laughs> um, like, there was people that were so emotionally invested in her disappearance that never, ever met her just by reading her Tumblr post. And they just, they felt that closeness to her. Yeah. Like, they created groups, like, support groups and fan groups, basically, for Elisa Lam. I find that really odd. People have a lot of time on their hands. Yeah. You know, another thing they did with that time on their hands is they decided that the, before they, they went off on the, uh, the singer, they were deciding that it was a government cover-up and that she was a biological weapon uh-huh. oh, yeah. used to spread tuberculosis amongst the, the people of Skid Row to thin out the population of the homelessness, <laughs> uh, the homeless population. And I guess they felt that she was too much of a liability, so they killed her and stuck her in the water tank. Um, so that's a good place to cover up a murder, right? The same place you killed her at. <laughs> where, where no one's going to no, find yeah, her. Yeah, no one will ever find out. Well, that's the thing. The is You put her in the water tank, tank the water's going to ruin any evidence that you'd be able to find. While all the water damage on the body. It's also going to show you the body. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, this is how they got into this conspiracy. It was the fact that... Um, like the, there was a tuberculosis, tuberculosis outbreak amongst the people, the homeless population there on Skid Row, after she disappeared, and the the fact that people were, 
their minds work in weird ways. Uh, so the test that was administered to the people to test for tuberculosis is called the Lam Elisa. Um, her name just it's spelled her name spelled reverse. The Which problem is pretty with this, coincidental. Yeah, it is. It is very coincidental. Um, and I don't know if they had. I mean, obviously they had the internet back in 2013 because it's been around for a long time. <laughs> I did a quick Google search after because I've heard about this conspiracy b- before, but I did a quick Google search and like the Lam Elisa. Like I can't remember what exactly it stands for, but it, it's it's a very long acronym. It's a, yeah, it's an acronym for something that's very long. Mm-hmm. Um, and this test has been around since at least the seventies oh, okay. before she was born. Um, okay. so it is, is, is very extreme coincidence that the, the test had the same name as, as her. Um, like, like I said, a quick Google search showed me that this test has been around since at least the seventies. Yeah. So, um, all these people that are just, they're so emotionally invested in finding what, finding out what happened to her and who did it and why. I don't think they used rational thought <laughs> when they were trying to trying to figure this out. No, and I think it's just it's crazy. They're just like the lengths that people. Yeah, I, I think it's. I, I just want to take social media away and the internet away from stupid people. Um, <laughs> but I'll tell you, it's a really cool coincidence, though. It is. It, I mean, there was a lot of coincidences, like the movie, uh, the the test being the same name as her, um, the death metal singer that happened to be there a year before, but. I don't know if there wasn't a timestamp on when this video was posted. They just they just assumed, oh, he looks like a bad guy. She, he did it. I think it probably was like the same day, just a different year. Probably. And they just saw that same day. They go, oh, that son of a bitch. That's the guy. Well, and then, <laughs> like I said, the fact that his music video was released three days after she disappeared and it was about a girl being murdered. Um, like I can see where people are putting this stuff together, but it's just like, they're they're stretching it too far. They are stretching. I mean, another really interesting coincidence I thought was one of the books that she got. Um, I don't remember. There's some type of code in the book, like whether it's the the shelf and location, and that same number is actually where she's buried. On if you look if you Google that that oh, it was the longitude and latitude. Yeah. Um, there was like an address or something that they gave. Yeah, I can't remember. The, the, that number came from one of the books that she got. That's weird. And then that, and then when you when you look at the latitude longitude, that's the cemetery she's buried in. Really interesting coincidence, though. Oh, well, <laughs> but that's but super the weird that somebody was even looking that up, right? Like that's just like the, oh, the other thing with the tuberculosis is, I guess, like I said, the college that she was attending like studied tuberculosis, so yeah, just, yeah, people are just leaders. just putting all this stuff together. And so I never like watching this. I'm just like, you guys, like how, like, why would you actually think that this happened? Like, I, I know I'm probably looking at a different mindset. Like I, you know, I found out about it, I don't know, four or five years after it actually happened. Um, but I was looking at it from a paranormal investigator's perspective. So like I said, my initial thought was, okay, something influenced her to kill herself. And I, I believe that still could be a possibility. Um, they did – the other thing, one of the things that kind of frustrated me a little bit about these web sleuths is when the police are doing their investigation, like people were showing up at the hotel and, and people were like calling and saying, oh, I think this and that. And, and I don't think they realize when they do that, they're giving the police false leads and it's going to send them down directions that they shouldn't even be going. Yeah. Um, it's, it's You're basically at that point tampering with the investigation whether it's intentional or not. Um 
my advice to these people is just let the cops do their job. Um, then, then now things are a little bit different. Um, <laughs> but um, they uh, they also they were they were complaining because of how long the toxicology report it took and the autopsy report, how long it took for it to come out. And people are complaining because the cops wouldn't share their case files with them. Well, it's not really. They're not real sleuths. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> where's your where's your badge? <laughs> but like some of the things they, they they started picking apart the toxicology report and the the uh, autopsy report, and I guess they they ruled it the death originally as uh, unknown, I believe, uh-huh. and then they crossed that out and checked accidental, yeah, uh, and wrote drowning. And the thing is, they dated it. Um, it was two eighteen, I believe, uh, two thousand thirteen on both of them. And people are looking at it, and they're like, "No, this one was three days before two two fifteen, or yeah, two fifteen. Yeah. And, and seeing seeing that, I can see how people like I they showed on the documentary, but you can see that the little loop thin. on the first one it's it's thin, so it does look like a five. But like when you're looking at up at up close, you can see that the dates are the same. They're both on the eighteenth. Yeah. Um. So what they basically broke it down to is, uh, she was supposed to be on antidepressants. And medication for her bipolar disorder. And she also had, according to her family and some friends, had a history of not taking her medication yeah. the way she was supposed to. And had a history of having psychotic breakdowns. So it is entirely possible that she had one of these psychotic breakdowns. And it ended up leading to her death. But part of me wants to believe that because of the psychotic breakdown, there was an outside influence that took advantage of this and convinced her to kill herself. That's my opinion. Um, like I said, the whole, the roof on the lid, like, like uh, some of the evidence that was revealed in this documentary. And I, I, I've seen a lot of people on Facebook complaining about this documentary. Oh, really? Um, about how it's just full of conspiracy theories. And yes, it is. One episode is of the four. Right. Mm-hmm. I saw some people complaining that they didn't even mention that she was found in the water tank on the first episode. It's People are complaining because for the sake of complaining. I, you yeah. know, I <laughs> oh, spoke yeah. to Brandy about this, and it's one of the things is like people are so used to that instant gratification now. Like I was, I was fascinated by the entire first episode on how the police conducted their investigation. Um and and handle how they handled this whole thing. Like I ate up the whole documentary. I thought it was very well done. I liked it, and mm-hmm. it, it gave a lot of um, a lot of different perspectives that I never would have even thought of or would have even looked into. But also revealed a lot more evidence that wasn't given in originally. Right. So yeah, thinking that nobody could have gotten in there, you know, that the hatch was too small and mm-hmm. all that, and. Now and that it was closed on on top of that it was closed. Well, that's what that was that was said. So that all those thoughts that you had before completely got just obliterated. <laughs> well, and then there's a the whole thing where they're like, there's no way that she could have got on the roof by herself without setting off the alarm. But they also talk about in that documentary how there's the the window. Fire one escape. Of the, there's a fire escape, and one of the things I found interesting is the dogs that they brought in that found her scent stopped at a window that was right next to one of the fire escapes. So it is entirely possible that she climbed up the fire escape. Now, I have seen a video that someone made like a couple of weeks, I think, after the um, 
that she was found and mm-hmm. you know because there was a lot of a lot of uh social media people that wanted to go and stay at the Cecil they tried uh-huh. to stay in that room they tried to find the elevator and there was a lot of security that was like trying to keep people oh, from right, doing that right, right. there was we one guy record. there was one guy and I don't know if he worked there or if he was a, a guest but he showed like there was a stairway that went up to the roof that was supposed to be alarmed and according to the manager in the documentary it that, sets an alarm off that it sets an alarm off and so the you know, I'm thinking when I see this video that this guy made, he goes and opens the hatch. And there's no alarm. Okay, and I'm like, oh, that's interesting. And he shows how he got straight up on the roof and how he walked and climbed the ladder and got right above the water tanks and how he showed how easy it was for someone to actually do it. Um, and he showed that it doesn't alarm, but according to the manager, it sends an alarm to the front desk. Like it doesn't actually alarm at the uh, thing itself, which would make sense. Because if there's nobody on the floor, no hotel staff on that floor that's 17 floors up, they're not going to hear that alarm going off. Right. So it would make sense that the alarm's down at the front desk mm-hmm. where someone's stationed all day long. Um, but he did show how easy it was to get on the roof of the Cecil. So how he showed how easy it was for Elisa. She could have gotten up there on her own. Um, people were saying that you know she was murdered and carried up the ladder and it's just seeing how that building is set up like that's it's almost and then damn finding impossible. out that there was a bunch of graffiti up there on the roof already there's like pizza oh. boxes and cigarette butts and like it looks like people go up there and hang out quite a bit <laughs> probably got a great view of the city <laughs> right yeah um but it kind of changed my thought process for a minute thinking that um most likely, maybe she was got up there on the roof and was freaking out. Maybe some people were up there hanging out, and she was freaking out on them. Maybe, I don't know, maybe they put her in there. Maybe they did something and put her in there. Because uh, she was there to meet new people. But and I don't know. With her psychotic episodes, like her roommates were saying she had, it's possible that she freaked out. Or maybe somebody was just had enough of her freakouts. Maybe. It was like, all right, you're going to this water tank. Because what makes you all right? So because she's ruled, it's ruled an accidental drowning, right? Yes. Yeah. I was trying to think, what would spark someone, even even through an episode, if she was having an episode, to open the lid of a water tank, take off your clothes, and then jump in. Well, most likely, her clothes came off while she was treading water in there to lighten the treading, because maybe the clothes were weighing her down. Okay, all right. So what they said in the documentary was because that tank's in use, uh-huh. it drains. It's it's going to drain as she's in there. So it's sucking her down, and she's trying to lighten the load by taking her okay. clothes off. And they also, th- people thought it was weird that she was found, like most people, when you see a dead body floating, it's usually upside down. She was found face up with her face looking up at the top of the water tank. And the explanation they had for that was because it was a tank that was in use, the, the water you know going down the drain would cause things to stir and turn inside the tank. And that's mm-hmm. why they think she was Makes found sense. face up. I'm just trying to get into the mind, which is hard, right? Because I don't know what that's like to, to have those type of episodes. But to want to climb into a water tank like that. Well, you're in downtown L.A. in February. I don't know how warm it was, but she's wearing a hoodie. Maybe she's like, oh, it's hot. Maybe it's cool in here. I have no idea. Yeah, so I, I, I would love weird. to know what her mindset was. Like, <clears throat> I would love to be able to figure out exactly yeah. what happened and like what caused her to get in there. Like I said, I still, I feel like there is still some sort of outflow outside, like inhuman entity, like 
kind of spiritual influence. Yeah, because if you, if you think about, okay, you're having a freak out, whatever, you would probably still think, okay, I don't want to get soaking wet. Probably. You know what I mean? I mean, even if you're freaking out, I don't know how freaked out you are or how out of your mind you are in, in these freak outs, but um, I don't know if anybody are, is like out of it to the point where jumping right. in water sounds like a good idea. Or trying to hide, and she's like, maybe I can hide in this tank until they're gone. Maybe, or maybe she know. thought maybe the water was kind of drained <clears throat> down a little bit and thought maybe she could wade in it. But even then, she wouldn't be able to. It was too deep to where she wouldn't be able to reach the top. Right. Yeah. 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 So, I don't know. Such such weird, like, um, common sense things. Yeah. That is, okay, why would this somebody, even if they are freaking out that like that, throw common sense completely out the door and... I mean, if they're that bad and to where that their mind is that bad, I don't uh-huh. think they would be allowed to go on vacations out of the country and shit. Well, if they think she's taking her meds. She had all of her medicine with her. And they actually found traces of the medicine in her system, just, just not as much as it should have yeah. been. Yeah. Like, she had her meds in that. Well, she's her, also so. been there for two weeks floating. That's true. Yeah, um, some kind of, kind of went People thought system. she was on some kind of, like, acid trip or something, and they the, the only thing they found in her system were her her uh, prescription medications. Uh-huh. Um, it could have been one of those things where it was just maybe she wanted to commit suicide and then after she got in the tank she just like changed her mind and was trying to get out. That's I don't a know. real like, bad way to commit suicide. That's a long, slow death. Yeah. Drowning? Yeah. Yeah. Maybe faster just jump off the building at that point. Uh-huh. So, I mean, we could speculate all night about what her mindset was and, and why she was in there in the first place, but fact is we'll probably never know but i think there was some kind of influence of either paranormal or starting at the elevator physical probably even before that well, maybe yeah, maybe true. without taking her meds maybe that veil was thinned out a little bit and maybe she was seeing these negative energies coming at her and influencing her scaring her <coughs> yeah so so she runs into the elevator she goes to i can't remember if she's trying to hide first or push buttons first but they do realize that one of the buttons that she does push is, is the hold. The, is the hold. And it button. holds it for two minutes. Holds it for two minutes. So she keeps hitting it and it keeps holding the elevator. Yeah. So I don't know if she's trying to push the, like, the, the close or who knows what she's trying to push. And she's pushing the wrong button. And she keeps peeking out, right? Because she thinks someone's following her. And but then she's, she goes out and starts having a conversation with somebody. Well, then it makes you wonder is she thinking that somebody's hitting the, the button on the outside on because the outside. she's hitting the. The hold button, not realizing she's holding it, and maybe thinking somebody's on the outside hitting the button to keep the door open, yeah. and she's getting pissed off about it. Well, that's one of the things the Webster's <clears throat> thought too was that someone was outside holding the button, so it makes complete sense. Like if she's having a breakdown and she's putting the door hold button on, she could be thinking and she's blaming like, it on the spirits that she's seeing. Maybe the spirits are like, "It ain't me." <laughs> <laughs> I mean, her hands still make this awkward motion as she's somewhat conversing with someone something like there's just her mannerisms with her hands just seems very yeah odd it still. was what she it was very very odd what she was doing and, and when so you know thinking back when i first saw this i thought her hands were contorting that's what it like, looks like, like they were dislocated but then kind of watching it and they zoomed in i'm like oh kind of just maybe it's kind of maybe shadows um it don't they don't it didn't seem that awkward this last time that i watched when i watched this episode Basically, everything I got from, like, what they, they revealed in this documentary was 
there's pretty much a logical explanation for everything that happened except for <clears throat> why she was in the tank in the first place. Yeah. Right. Is her jumping into the tank. It's like, why, what was going through your head to make you want to jump in that tank? Because everything else makes sense now. She can fit in there. She could easily yes. get on the roof. Because, um, it, yeah, it made it seem like before in the original stories, there's no way she could get on the roof. There's no way she could fit in through that latch. There's no way she could close that latch on herself. Well, I, th- I think all the these things are the, just the latch was, the door was actually open when they found her. Mm-hmm. That changes a lot of things yeah. from my perspective. Because, yep. um, again, that would totally make sense if she jumped in. Uh, of course, she's not going to be able to put the lid on. And the fact that the the custodian in the or the maintenance man in uh-huh. the documentary straight up said, "Yeah, when I found her, it was open." Yeah. Um, it just it brought a lot of light to the situation watching this documentary. And we're we're I know we're not doing this justice, and we're kind of jumping around in it. But <laughs> I definitely think, in my opinion, it's definitely worth giving it a a, a shot and, and checking out, and watching it. Yeah, I would say definitely watch it. It was pretty cool, and it def- definitely changed my perspective on what happened because it yeah i thought it was totally outrageous what happened like out of this world but now it's okay okay yeah makes sense i was the same way i was like i'm like this is crazy how they could rule it as an accidental drowning like this doesn't make any sense but this this did put a lot of things into uh perspective it was it was and i and i like that episode three where they're all the uh what'd you say coincidences like, for me, I thought that was really neat. And I do just think they're just really remarkable coincidences. But a lot of people with a lot of time on their hands, like, act, going that far out of their way to stretch that far. Yeah, I mean, it was cool. That. It, it was is cool. cool, but damn. <laughs> I know completely ruining a guy's life is so cool. <laughs> for real. That was so, that's, yeah, messed up. Get a job, sir. <laughs> I suggest you do what your parents did and get a job, sir. Well, pick the Lebowski. Um, I, have, I haven't seen that for so long. <laughs> it was a damn good movie, though. What should we call that an episode? I, I think yeah, so. Yeah, check it out on Netflix, that episode four, four uh, episodes. and uh, I believe it's called The uh, Crime Scenes, The Disappearance at the Cecil Hotel. Let's know what you guys think. Well, all right, everybody. Thanks for either watching because we're recording this one or listening, but we appreciate it. Good night. night. <laughs> Peace out, butterflies.